in verses familiar to all of us, the writer of Hebrews declares, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Reading through the remainders of Hebrew, the remainder of Hebrews chapter 1, the message becomes clear. God has revealed himself to us most clearly in his Son, by whose person and work he has saved us from our sin. And we know that this correlates with other passages. Other scriptures teach us that God reveals himself to us through his word, that we may know him and that the scriptures may make us wise into salvation, which is in Jesus Christ. Therefore, our first concern must always be what God reveals to us about himself and our salvation. If those are clear to us, then what we are to do in light of what scripture says becomes clearer to us. So looking at Daniel chapter 2 this morning, I want to draw your attention to three details. A mystery revealed, a mystery addressed, and a mystery resolved. A mystery revealed, a mystery addressed, and a mystery resolved. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we... uh, are dependent upon your Holy Spirit. You have given us your word, and yet, without the Holy Spirit enlightening our minds, we will not receive your word. Sin is a horrible, horrible thing that causes even believers to not see. It even causes believers who have ears to hear to not be able to hear. That's true of, the, of those who are not your people as well. They can't hear. They can't see. That's why we live in a world full of blindness and darkness. But even as we come to your word, we have to confess our dependence upon you to give us wisdom and insight into the knowledge of your will. So we come to you this day And we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would work in us and so open our hearts and minds to receive what you say to us in Daniel 2. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's look first of all at a mystery revealed. The first part of Daniel chapter 2, we have Nebuchadnezzar having, it says he had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. It tells us there were more than one dream. There was more than one dream, but the reality is there's only one dream that's dealt with. And um, I think we understand what's meant by that because many times we have several kinds of dreams in the night, but one will, one will catch our attention, and that's the one we'll really remember. We may remember pieces of other ones, but... There's one that we might remember. And I think that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He was having dreams. He was in a dream state, is probably a good way to put it. And there was a dream that he just couldn't get a handle on. And it kept him awake. 
And so he called for all the magicians. He said, get the enchanters, the magicians, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, and summon them uh, to tell the king his dreams. Chapter 2, verse 2. And so they came in, and he said to them, I, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Well, then, of course, you know, the Chaldeans said to him in, in Aramaic, now that's interesting, isn't it? Why would it say, then the Chaldeans said to him in Aramaic? Well, for one thing, that was kind of the lingua franca of, of the empire. So that's one thing. And the other thing is that from this point to Daniel chapter 7, the book of Daniel is written in Aramaic. And so when you look at it, when you look at the chapters 2 through 7, what you catch is a chiasm. So Daniel chapter 2 says one thing. Daniel chapter 7 says something that's, that's, like, that's, that's similar, but it's different. And you have to correlate the two to really understand the book. And so the challenge before me next week is to try to show you the correlation between Daniel 2 and 7 so that we might understand the book correctly. But today, we're just going to look at chapter 2. So the king, you know, he says, listen, uh, tell me my dream. And uh, the Chaldeans say, okay, well, well, tell us what the dream was. And he said, no. I mean, basically, that's what he says. <laughs> the word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. That's another interesting little detail. (laughs) Why would they lay the house in ruins? Well, I think it's similar to what they do today sometimes when they find a house that's had a lot of drugs and meth in it and stuff. They tear it down. They raise it. And so it's something like that. So, the, so when they go, when the king would, you know, do this to somebody, he'd go tear their house down too, wipe them out. Wow. And so they said, "Well, um, show me the dream and the interpretation." And, and so they said, "Well," they said a second time, "Well, let the king tell the servants a dream." This is verse. Um, oh, I can't read see it. Um, I don't know, right? Verse eight, verse seven and eight. You know, tell, let the king let, tell the tell your servants what the dream was, and we'll give you the interpretation. And the king says, "You know what? I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to pull a, you know, you're trying to pull the wool over my eyes. That's what you're doing. Because you're gonna, I'm gonna tell you the dream." And you're going to come back with some makeshift interpretation that you gather from all the books you've collected and all the little magical things you do. And you're going to tell me this is what it means and it really doesn't mean that. <clears throat> so, you're going to tell me the dream and its interpretation or I'm going to tear you apart. <clears throat> well, they said, there is not a man, this is verse 10, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. Challenge. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one 
can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So at least they acknowledge that this is something that is out of their control. The only one that can do it are the gods, and they don't dwell with us. So, now what? Well, the king was angry and very furious. And he commanded that the wise men of Babylon be destroyed so that the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. So there they are. That's the king's response to his entourage of magicians and Chaldeans and, and uh, people who uh, tell him, read, read, read calves' livers and things like that. They, they can't help him at all. And so the king says to his, to his servant, Arioch, go and kill them all. Kill all of them? All the magicians in the land? Kill, kill everybody? And the answer is yes. And so word comes to Daniel. And uh, so Daniel addresses it. This is the second point. The mystery is revealed. Now the mystery is going to be addressed. And Daniel comes and says, What's going on? Why, why is the king, why does he want to put all, all these people to death? Um, and so Arioch, you know, he says to him, well, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? I mean, why does he have to do it now? Why does he have to do it? This, what's going on? And Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, verse, verse 15, verse 16. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now, it sounds like in the passage that Daniel just walked in on the king. But later on the passage, you see that Arioch brought him into the king. So what probably happened is that Arioch took him into the king. And Daniel... And Daniel talk to him and he told him to give him some time so that he could you know find out mm-hmm. now I want you to notice um, that Daniel approaches this whole situation with prudence and wisdom Daniel doesn't lose his cool Daniel doesn't uh, run off, you know, half crazy, wondering, oh my gosh, what are we going to do next? No, Daniel's calm, cool, and collected. And he says, okay, this is what i got to do. He goes to his house, and he makes the matter known to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that is, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning the mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel prayed. Now notice notice what Daniel does. First he goes to the king and tries to address this in a, in a reasonable way. Then he knows there's only Daniel and the, and the, and the magicians of 
in the Chaldeans, they all know something that seems to be past the king. And that is that for the Chaldeans, it's the gods that have to reveal it. But Daniel's the same, only it's not the gods. It's the God of heaven. It's the God he worships and serves. He knows that this matter cannot be made known except God reveal it to him. And so God does. He answers the prayer of these four young men. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answers their prayer. And so Daniel does properly. He goes to the Lord with thanksgiving. Before he says anything to the king, he goes to the Lord in thanksgiving. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. What does Daniel need right now? He needs wisdom. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So look at God is sovereign, right? Amen. I mean, God's revealing that to us through the prayer of Daniel. God is the one who changes times and seasons. God is the one who removes kings and sets them up. God is the one who gives wisdom. So Daniel knows that. He knows that God is the one who imparts knowledge, the knowledge that he needs. And he is the one then who reveals deep and hidden things. What is it that King Nebuchadnezzar just had? He had a dream of something that was deep and hidden. And he knows what is in the darkness. Notice that God doesn't, the darkness is nothing to God. He's, he, he's the one that dwells. He's light. And the light dwells with him. He's the source of light. Daniel's acknowledging all these things that we read in Scripture. It's like the Scripture is informing every word that comes out of Daniel's mouth. And so then he, then he appeals to God. O God of my fathers, I give you thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. So we see the mystery revealed. We see the mystery addressed in a proper way. How are we going to handle this? We're going to go to the Lord and ask Him for wisdom. And then we see the mystery resolved. Daniel goes back to Arioch. And uh, he went and he said, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king. And I will show the king the interpretation. So Arioch brings Daniel in before the king. And in haste, notice that, <laughs> in haste, he says to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. Now, this parallels, does it not, with Daniel chapter 1, where, you know, you found this man who's in the kingdom and how wise they are, right? Daniel's already been demonstrated to be wise. And now it's just happening again. So, the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream I have seen and its interpretation? Now, no, what's underlying his words? It's like, are you able to make known to me the dream? Make known that to me first and then tell me what it means. That's right. And Daniel says, um, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. Same answer given by the enchanters, right? But Daniel qualifies it. 
But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be when? In the latter days. Oh, wait a minute. This doesn't even really concern Nebuchadnezzar directly. This concerns the latter days. Days that aren't there yet. They're not going to come. And they're not going to come for a very, very long time. You ask yourself, why? This puzzles me. Why would God reveal to a king who doesn't believe in him, why would he reveal to him a mystery concerning the latter days? When that king is not going to have, he's not really part of those latter days, at least not at the time he's living. Maybe he's going to be part of them later, but not now. So what? why would God do that? And I, I thought about that. I've wondered about that. And I've even tried to find out why that would be, and I haven't found an answer yet, but my opinion is this. Nebuchadnezzar was a man of great power. In that world, he was, he, 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 he ruled the world. Just to the north of Babylon is the kingdom of Media and Persia, right? And they're not really, they're not moving on the scene yet. And Nebuchadnezzar has taken all of Syria, all of, all, of, all of Judah and Israel, and he's taken Egypt. He rules over all of it. Okay, He's gone as far as Asia Minor. His kingdom is massive. Now, the Medo-Persian kingdom is going to be even bigger, but Nebuchadnezzar at this time is almost like the king of the world, right? And so I was thinking as I pondered this, maybe one of the reasons anyway that God reveals the latter days to King Nebuchadnezzar is because he's really representative of what we might call a government power. He's revealed this to Nebuchadnezzar because what he's going to reveal are, are, are a series of kingdoms. He's revealed in his dream a series of kingdoms that God is going to deal with. And the latter days come up right at the end of, of, that, of that series of kingdoms. So maybe it's because Nebuchadnezzar is representative of what we see today. Right? Principalities and powers, not in heavenly places, but on the earth. You know, uh, we don't have kings anymore. But we have people who, you know, are very powerful. The United States of America for all of our problems, is, one of the, is, is the greatest power in the world. We still are. You know, China's a great power in the world. And, and so God's revealing to Nebuchadnezzar that, you know what, the great powers in the world, guess what's going to happen to them? So, Daniel, uh, Daniel says, As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Notice how humble he is. Not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living. In other words, I'm not any smarter. I don't have more wisdom than any of the Chaldeans or any of your enchanters or any of your magicians. God has revealed it to me in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. And so then Daniel reveals a dream 
And this leads to the resolution. It's a mystery, but now it's resolved. And Daniel explains to him what he saw. You saw, O king, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold. Its chest and arms were of silver. Now, stop for just a second. The head was of fine gold. And what does Nebuchadnezzar turn right around and do in the very next chapter? He builds a golden image. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting how the chapters tie together with these little things. But yeah, so this head of gold, it's a fine gold. Its chest and arms are silver. Its middle and thighs of bronze and its legs of iron. Its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, reminiscent of Psalm 1. Became like the chaff of the threshing floors. What happens to the wicked? They're like the chaff who will blow away. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That, dear king, was the dream you had. Now I'm going to interpret it for you. You, O king, you are the king of kings. Notice he's put up on this pedestal. To whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory. Notice how that's described. And into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Wow, he's powerful. Yes. Now, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth, and there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw, the feet, toes, are partly potter's clay and partly iron, and it shall be divided, a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so... They will mix with iron, they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. 
A great God is made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. Wow. Well, those kingdoms represent different kingdoms. And as you go through and as you go through the book of Daniel, we're going to see that that these kingdoms, Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold. After him, there's another kingdom. And there's, there's difference of opinion about what these individual parts of this image are. Uh, but you're dealing with the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, then you're dealing with the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, then you're dealing with the king of, uh, of Greece, and then you keep dealing with the king of Rome, and, uh, and you just keep going down and down. So there's, uh, like I say, there's different opinion, but m- most people think that, the, that Rome is the last one, and then after that, the, 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 the stone that's been cut out without human hands um, is going to destroy all the kingdoms. But it, you have to th- remember this doesn't happen just bam, 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 like it's going to happen, you know, this week is this, next week is that. It's not that way. Remember, it's a dream, and Daniel's interpreting it. And so I think we'll see next week, if I can work out all the details and not, not make it too tedious and abstruse, um, I can show you the relation between chapter 2 and chapter 7, and uh, that will help us understand a little more clearly what's going on in the book of Daniel. But it's about the kingdom of Christ. Ultimately, that's what you're looking at, folks. It's, it, this, is, this is just a different form of the parables of the kingdom that Jesus told. One day, the kingdom of Christ is going to destroy all the kingdoms of this earth. He is right now ruling and reigning. I don't know, sometimes do we believe that, but the reality is Jesus is is ruling and reigning. He is subduing all of His enemies right now. Your enemies, His enemies, He is subduing them right this moment. The kingdom of Christ is being extended. And it's being extended through the gospel. And as, uh, as people around the world are being converted, Muslims are being converted, I don't know, they're by the scores, you know, they're being converted all around the world. People are being converted. The kingdom of Christ is growing. We may not feel that here. We may not see that so much here. But it is happening. And that's what we have to understand God is about to, the latter days, I don't know when they are going to be, but right now, the, right now, the stone that was cut out of that mountain is in the process of destroying all the kingdoms of this world. And when the time is right, His kingdom will be set up. And that's all in God's hands. It's all in God's hands. Well, when... When Daniel's done telling the king, the king falls on his face and he pays homage to Daniel. And interestingly, he commands that an offering and incense be offered up to him. I don't, I'm not sure how Daniel would feel about that. but And the king said, Truly your God is God, the God of gods, Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And then Daniel asked, he didn't forget his friends, 
Yes, it came to a point, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. And he remains there until Cyrus the king comes at the end and takes over the kingdom of Babylon. So there you have it. What is Daniel 2 about? It's about the God who reveals his will and he interprets his will. That's the point. That's the God we serve. Now, as we think about that, we have to understand this. We've got to think of it in terms of how that affects us right now. Well, we live in the most confusing times right now. It's not just children who are confused. Look at the mess that occurred in Washington, D.C. this last week. The scene was chaos resulting in the death of a young woman. What's worse is that people paraded flags with the cross on them. Not only demeaning the faith, but dishonoring the Lord. The Lord is not... The Lord, the Lord controls the politicians of this country. Amen. But Christ is not a Democrat. And He's not a Republican. He's not any of those. And when we, when we misrepresent the faith that way, I just think that it's dishonoring to God. And I'm not saying that people can't protest. And I'm not saying that Christians can't protest. But that was not good what happened. On top of that, the media, both left and right, confuse the details. One side says this. The other side says that. And both sides are right. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you that people are confused. Notice what Daniel did in the midst of intolerable chaos. He sought God's will in the matter. Do we seek God's will in the matter? Friends, if the Bible is God's word, like it says, and we believe it is, if the Bible declares God's will for His people, like it says, and we confess, then surely we need God's Word. Our children are being confused by educators telling them that there are any number of sexes. Well, if God has not spoken, then maybe the educators are right. My granddaughter can get an abortion through school, the school without telling her mother. But she can't take ibuprofen because that requires the presence of her parents and they have to bring it to school and they have to watch her when she takes it. If God hasn't spoken, then why bother arguing about these things? One opinion is as good as another. Is it okay for a teenager to request assisted suicide? Some of you may think that's wrong, but why do you think it's wrong? It's only wrong if there's a God who's revealed Himself. If there isn't a God who's revealed Himself, then that's not wrong either. It's just your opinion. Is racism okay? Well, if God has not spoken, then it can only be culturally acceptable or unacceptable. Muslim-controlled countries still enslave people, blacks included. Are they wrong? Well, if God has not spoken, then your opinion is as good as theirs. And in other words, why bother even coming to church? Why bother coming here? Why waste your Sunday afternoon if God has not spoken? Why listen to me? I probably pretty pretty hard to listen to sometimes. Why bother? If the scripture's not true, if it's not God's word then I don't know what we're doing here. 
And what we do here is meaningless. It's a meaningless waste of time if God has not spoken. Well, I believe God has spoken. And I think that's what Daniel 2 tells me. That God reveals Himself and He's revealed Himself in His Word through His prophet Daniel. Well, then second, just by thinking about how this, what implications this has for us, because God has spoken, each of us, like Daniel, can use discretion and discernment as we face the chaos of life. We do not need to worry or and fret. We do not need to become angry and furious like I do so often. No, we need to rely upon God and His Word. Like Daniel, we can bring anything and everything to God in prayer. We can trust Him. We can rely upon Him. Yes, we may suffer, but we need not worry or fret. You remember what Corey Timboom's sister told her when they were going through Nazi concentration camp and Corey Timboom's sister was, was dying and she got to hold her before they took her away. And Corey's sister told her, there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. I'll never forget those words. David tells us in Psalm 139 that there is no darkness so dark that God's light can't that God's light does not penetrate it. Well, I confess to you freely that I get angry every day at what I see on the news. That's why I try not to watch it. I get angry with those in authority over us. They give stimulus to those who don't need it and withhold it from people who do. I get angry at the National Education Association because they insist that our schools teach our children critical race theory and the perverted history of Howard Zinn. I often express my anger at God. I fail to live tranquilly, resting in the Lord who has spoken in His Word. But if He has spoken... And if what he has said is contained in the Bible, then my faith and hope are to be in what he has revealed and not in the world around me. You see, he reveals to me that I am a sojourner here. I have been created far for a far greater reality. Yes, I must enter that greater place through many tribulations. We must enter the kingdom of God. That's what Paul says, Acts chapter 14. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and have children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Those are hard words. And we don't like them. I know I don't. And he makes some people so angry that they hate and lash out at God. So we can understand how people wrestle with things in life and how they are difficult. But God will give us His peace. We read in the Scripture that God gives His perfect peace to those whose mind is stayed on Him. We have to focus our attention and put our trust in God. Why? Because, beloved, God has spoken. Let's pray together. Grant, Almighty God, since every perfect gift comes from you, and since some excel others in intelligence and talents, yet as no one has anything of his own, 
But as you graciously distribute to man a measure of your gracious liberality, grant that whatever intelligence you confer upon us, we may apply it to the glory of your name. Grant also that we may acknowledge in humility and modesty what you have committed to our care to be your own. And may we study to be restrained by sobriety, to desire nothing superfluous, never to corrupt true and genuine knowledge, and to remain in that simplicity to which you call us. Finally, may we not rest in these earthly things, but learn rather to raise our minds to true wisdom, to acknowledge you to be the true God, and to devote ourselves to the obedience of your righteousness. And may it be our sole object to devote and consecrate ourselves entirely to the glory of your name throughout our lives, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.